Welcome to the Hell of a Catholic Podcast. This is Father Josh from the Georgia Tech Catholic Center. This is uh, Alex Tatum, uh, Head of Apologetics here at the Catholic Center. This is Anthony Haskin, the Pastoral Lackey at the Catholic Center. And this is Shannon Murray. I'm a student at Georgia Tech. Today uh, we are continuing our RCIA podcast. So those of you who are listening to this, uh, this is kind of more of, more of our uh, informative stuff about the Catholic Church and our faith kind of podcasts, and uh, I don't even know what our topic is today, so one of you guys leading this? Neither does Shannon, either. Oh, perfect. (laughs) So two of the four are not prepared. The topic today is the four marks of the church. The four marks of the church. Four marks of the church, which Shannon over there is like, well, I know Mark the Evangelist, but who are the other things? Yes. Totally. Boo. No, so we're we're talking about the four marks of the church, which we say every Sunday in the creed, the four marks being one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. So, where are the marks? How is the church marked? I mean, I just like to point out that the word mark a, yeah. tends to be yeah. a very visual thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like the four signs or characteristics right. or um, attributes. They, they call them the marks. The four the marks. So how does the church mark with its marks? I'm asking. I'm, this is not my podcast. I'm Anthony. Well, this is not my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, why don't you talk about what you want to talk about, and then uh, I'll troll later. Um, well, okay, so... Hopefully you have a pretty understanding of what each one means. Um, what it means to be one church, what it means to be a holy church, what it means to be Catholic, and what it means to be apostolic. Well, let's talk uh-huh. about those just in case somebody's listening to this that doesn't know what those things mean. Okay, yeah. so starting, who wants to take the lead on one? One. As in... Singular. <laughs> every little step she takes. It's the loneliest number that there one ever is was. The yeah. Ever yeah. yeah. Indeed. Well, one as in, like, unified, as in Jesus Christ established one church, which, if you look at Christianity today, might not be so obvious. And I think that's kind of the point we're going to get to with this podcast, is that the church doesn't seem to be one holy Catholic and apostolic from an outsider's perspective, maybe. Um, But yeah, one as in we are all one body in Christ. Singular is what you mean. Singular. A theme that we have, we see in the New Testament, St. Paul talks about the one. We are one bread, mm-hmm. one body. Um, he talks about that in Ephesians, I'm pretty sure. One right. bread, one body, one church. One. One. Yes. Holy. Holy. Shannon. Holy means that the church has been sanctified by Christ. Um, all the members of the church have had their salvation bought through Christ, even if they choose to sin and lose it. But. Also that we're not unholy. So does sure. that now, Shannon, does that mean that every single person in the Catholic Church is a holy and upstanding individual? Not necessarily, but the church herself. I'm not sure every person in this room is. The church herself, though, as the bride of Christ, is the unblemished bride of the Lamb, which is crucial if she's our art to heaven. Okay. 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 So holy. Catholic. So Catholic. Catholic, um, Catholic meaning universal, going back to the roots of the world, that we are a universal church, um, which is evident in the fact that we see Catholic churches everywhere. But the universalism also talks about what we do. Um, and the most universal thing that there is in the church is mass and the sacrifice of mass. 
and that Jesus through his sacrifice as Calvary is constantly being redone for us during Mass and that we get it's to protect. It's not being redone, it's being represented. Represented, thank you. Represented. Would you say it's the most universal thing? Just as an interesting point. Because Mass is not necessary for salvation. So is it the most use- The Eucharist is not necessary for salvation. The attendance of Mass is not necessary for salvation. The Eucharist is not mass- necessary for salvation. No, the, you, have, you have to attend Mass, though. No, what she's saying not if is... You've never, like, if you've never been exposed to Mass, that's not... Yeah, if you get baptized on yeah. your deathbed, oh, that's a good point. you don't have to go to Mass. Even St. Thomas. St. Thomas Aquinas says the Eucharist is not necessary for salvation. Hmm. But didn't Jesus say, Jesus. unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you? Sounds yeah, but like it's... St. Thomas uh, is coming up against some it's, uh, <laughs> Baptism, right? Baptism is the thing that's absolutely necessary well, yeah. for salvation, oh, yeah. right? But okay. the church provides baptism as well. Like, so is baptism so, more universal than Yeah, that's the, the question. If we're talking right. about universality... Well, I see it as a... I see it as a what the the point I, I say is like you can see the mass as like this is something that is universally happening throughout the church and if you go to the mass i mean if a you know if a ukrainian went to an american mass it sure it may not be in the same language but they still should be able to and be like oh this is this sure. is the mass so you're more referring to like the idea that at any given moment the mass is always occurring somewhere mm-hmm. yes yeah. But obviously the church itself really is the most universal thing. Which, I mean, it's the universal church, so then the church itself is the most universal, providing its sacraments and, and doing all this. But uh, really, when we talk about the universality, we're talking about the universality of the church and just the arguments we can construct to show its universality. I'm making up words at this point. <laughs> so are, are aliens uh, contained within uh, that universality? Well, well we, I think... This has been a big subject of conversation at the Catholic Service yeah. recently. I have no idea Didn't why. Didn't Pope Francis say but something? But he said something. Been baptized in, I don't know. Interesting. Nevertheless. Yeah. Okay. As long as Catholic. You can baptize all aliens except Klingons. Klingons cannot be baptized. Is that dogmatic? I, I, think, I think so. Not Saint Irenaeus talks about it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. In the fifth volume of Verses <laughs> exactly. Against Heresies, the one that nobody ever reads. I believe oh, he right. is the doc. He is the doctor of aliens. The doctor of yeah, aliens. doctor of aliens. There you yeah. go. Uh, mm. So one holy Catholic and apostolic. 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 From the apostles. Maybe we should talk. Maybe that should come from the person who is of the line of apostolic succession. Do we have a bishop? Yeah, well, the uh, priest isn't in apostolic oh, succession. God. He was ordained <laughs> by one who's apostolic. Um, apostolic succession, just very, very blatantly being from the apostles. Um, as Catholics, we have a line of succession from the apostles. Every single bishop in the Catholic Church if they wanted to, can point their line directly to some apostle, um, and that is a line that has never been broken and will never be broken. Excellent. Um, And I think apostolic probably also refers to the fact that our faith is handed on um, from a person to another person, right? It's Mm -hmm. the handing on of our faith is really the faith in Jesus Christ is actually Jesus Christ, right? Like we're handing on not a book of writings about Jesus Christ, not things that we do to worship Jesus Christ, but like we're handing on Jesus Christ, right? And that hand, that's handed on from person to person. It's not uh, uh, 
a religion of the book. It's not a religion that can be reduced down to just things that someone reads, right? Mm -hmm. It's always going to have to be an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, which is why, you know, mass media uh, attempts to try to spread the faith um, are always going to be helpful, but they're never going to be sufficient. I mean, they're never going to be particularly successful alone, right? Because that's just a tool. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's person to person. That is how the faith spreads. Um, okay, so that's the definition of the marks of the church. Yeah. Um, so what are we going to talk about? Maybe it might be nice to talk about what it looks like, like why those marks are so important. Well, what it means to okay. yeah, what it means to be, what would a church that it like if we didn't have those marks, what would the church look like, or what would a church look like, and why that is so detrimental to people, and like why these marks are so important. Okay, let's do that. That's fun. So, so Anthony, why, why is one? <laughs> why is the mark so important? The mark of one. Well, okay. So let's look at it. Let's look at it like this. Chris, he draws an example of. What is the opposite of the Catholic Church? And so he points towards the Tower of Babel. Okay. okay. And there's only one tower. There's only one tower. But what he sees it is that so the Tower of Babel, for those who haven't read their Genesis lately, um, Tower of Babel um, after Noah after Noah and his three sons have reclaimed the land, or you know they're off the ark and everything. Um, the there's been some apostatizing, and the people want to make a name for themselves. What's actually funny is Shem in Hebrew means name. So he already has a name. He wants Shem does, but the other people they want to make a Shem for themselves, if you will. Which then leads to the thing that Noah literally named one of his sons name, which is like <laughs> the first dad joke in the Old Testament. Um, it's bad, I know. But um, so they decide to build this great tower that's going to rise to heaven and all the people of the earth come and they build this great tower and then God strikes it down because of, and what was the big thing is is God didn't like it. The, God's not against tall buildings. It was more, I mean, they're doing it to... It was a to, monument to their arrogance. Yeah, to, to their arrogance. We are going to be higher than God. Yeah, we're, gonna, we're going to make a God. We're going to make a name for ourselves. So God strikes it down and then that's how the languages enter into the world. Um, so, and the thing is, is when we look at that, so we see the division. We see not a one unity, but a division amongst the people that happens at ba- Babel. Obviously, something unholy that's not holy at all. Um, something where we see a very regionalist approach happening that's not universal at all because these people are starting to break off. And then. Obviously, this isn't coming from God, and the, this isn't coming from the apostles. This is the complete opposite of that. So that, so seeing Babel as kind of like the opposite of that, I always think is is a fun way to see like if this is where this is where not having those marks leads us to is what happened to the people at Babel. And I always think that's a it's weird to think that so early on in the Bible we see that. Weren't the people? Wouldn't they be one? Before the division, though, even though that this, they were, they came together as one and built this this tower. I, th- I think the point is that like the church is correcting that division. Yeah. So that was the original state of humanity in union with God, but then they ruined it as we tend to do. 
Well, because it's, I mean, the marks are of the church. Mm -hmm. So if the church, like, if we're just one holy Catholic and apostolic without the church, which I don't, which is difficult to fathom, but, like, just imagine the church being removed from that, that is not going to lead us to a good place. It's like the unity among the people when they weren't centered around Christ. Look what happened. They decided, oh, we're going to be we're going to be our own gods. Or they weren't centered around God. We're going to be our own God. Okay. We're going to build a tall tower. But thank you for your thank you for your oh, trolley. Just, to, yeah, I appreciate <laughs> just it. Just asking questions. Father Josh has a role here to play. Don't take that <laughs> away. <laughs> okay, so that's what so. the church is going to look like, or that's what things are going to look like without the marks of the church. So. Um, okay, so let me ask this: uh, Are those marks permanent? Are those continually sustained by the Holy Spirit? Are they just descriptive words? Um, when we're describing uh, the church, is are those marks things that could change? Um, and if they can't, is that just because we're always going to call it? I mean, no matter what we see, are we always going to call the church holy? I mean, as ca- I mean, it's just kind of one of those things that uh-huh. uh, it doesn't really matter what you say. We're always going to say the church is holy. I mean, obviously, make the argument about the people in it, which Shannon brought up. But the church itself needs to always be holy. If the church, like if we talk about the Catholic Church, not the people in it, the Catholic Church itself, if the Catholic Church stops being holy, it, I mean, it kind of stops being the Catholic Church. Because I mean that, well, that's the, the whole promise. Yeah, I was going to ask, what are, what are we defining as the Catholic Church? Well, I see not the people. Okay, well, so the there's the people in the church, and then there's like the Catholic Church, the Bride of Christ. I kind of see it as. Which so is. there's two Catholic Churches. <laughs> now we're failing now, the first one. Uh, yeah, gosh. we're not one. Now anymore. we're failing <laughs> the first one. No, we're trying good. to be holy, but we can't. We got to be two to be holy. <laughs> oh my gosh! Where's now, the uh, where's the ping pong gun of heresy or whatever it is? It's the it. Nerf gun. Of, the Nerf it's gun. Saint Athanasius. Saint Athanasius. The Saint Athanasius is the big one. Saint Nicholas is the small. When when only a punch is needed. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, Saint Athanasius is when you're taking on the rest of the world. Um. For everyone that wants to know that. <laughs> That's like my go-to answer, and you've taken this from me, and I don't Well, like your go-to um, answer's got to be better than that. Shut up, Anthony. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so what do I mean by the Catholic Church? Maybe that it is still, that the Catholic Church itself is still holy, even when it's using unholy when yeah, it's using what unholy is the church people. itself? That, that's the question. Mm-hmm. If we're going to talk about the holiness of the church... We have to understand what the church is. The church is all those pretty buildings in Rome and all the statues, and it's lovely. And all the ugly ones in the United States. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are some pretty ones. There are some. Yes, there, <laughs> there are some. Okay, so well, uh, so when we think church, one of the first, I mean, obviously it's the people of the, the people of the Catholic Church is, in a way, the church. What is it, wherever two of you two are? Two yeah, two are gathered. gathered yeah. But but it's the people is, and it's the construct. Is the church like the unity of the people? Well, More I so mean, if you think about it philosophically, you can use a couple of uh, a couple of different sort of sort of ways or metaphors or hermeneutics, if you like that word, um, to understand it. Um, one is you could use form and matter. Okay. Right. So the matter of the church would be the people. The form would then be what? The teaching or the magisterium? Holy Spirit. Oh, well, the Holy Spirit. Right? Yeah. 
So it's that little guy. <laughs> which then kind of which then kind of produces a living organism, right? Um, another way to think about it is body and soul, right? So that the body of the church are its members, and the soul of the church is the Holy Spirit, and those things together then constitute the church. So when someone falls outside of the communion of the church, right? Once somebody now sin doesn't bring you outside of the church. You're outside of communion of salvation, but you're still within the church. But a heretic, for instance, yeah, right, someone who is outside of the communion of the church. This is now someone who, while materially remaining a part of 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 the baptized, right, assuming they were baptized, um, no longer participates. Uh, in that communion that comes from the Holy Spirit in the church, right? They've been excluded from that um, by their uh, heresy or apostasy or whatever it is that's happened. So then, uh, so if we see the form, right, the form is the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the Holy Spirit can't not be holy. Correct. It's just the Spirit. It's, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that, then, that's yeah. exactly right. That's the holiness of the church is guaranteed by the fact that the Holy Spirit is in the church. Yeah. That's why it's holy. Okay. And the principle of unity in the church is mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit, right? Working through the apostolic succession. Um, the, the Catholicity of the church is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, which mm-hmm. blows where he will, right? Uh, and then the, uh, the apostoli- apostolicity, apostolicity. <laughs> The apostle likeness. Just welcome, say a bunch and I'll well, welcome to welcome to grammar with the Catholic Center. That also comes that that comes inspired by the Holy Spirit through the structure. So it's like the form and the matter working together, the body and the soul working together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's how we can say that those things. That's how we can say the church is holy, right? While the members might not be. Yeah. Because the holiness of the church comes from the Holy Spirit, not from the individuals. We can participate in that holiness, right? We can receive the Holy Spirit, unlock the gifts in our heart, and as we then grow in holiness, now we are manifesting more the perfect holiness of the church, which exists in the Holy Spirit proper, but we're now manifesting that. Other people don't manifest it at all, but it doesn't change the holiness of the church because if I'm not acting the way that I should, it doesn't change the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think, how you can probably explain, um, at least on a big level, how darn scandalized people can be by the church, right? Because yeah. you see the church, and, and of course, it's unfortunate that we use the same word to refer to so many different things, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, right? Because we talk about the church being a building. We talk about the church being as we're talking about today, this kind of universal, timeless thing that exists uh, both here on earth, um, in purgatory, in heaven. Um, and uh, and then also we now talk about like other churches, like mm-hmm. I think the Roman Catholic Church, and then you have the Anglican Church or the, mm-hmm. the, the Methodist Church or all those kind of things, right? So it... In fact, the word itself becomes a source of division. Well, I agree. We just need to stop calling those people churches. <laughs> well, I believe we've already been instructed on that. So they're ecclesial uh, communities. Ecclesial communities. And I think also some so, people... Which means church communities. I don't know. Right, <laughs> I think some people also, when they hear the word like the church, they think of 
the clergy in specifically, like especially like bishops and cardinals, and yeah. then the unholiness of certain clergy members yeah. will make them say that the church is not holy. Well, because so, I have to say, growing up Protestant, a church to me is the building. Like that mm-hmm. was, I mean that, and I would say that's how most Protestants see it: is the church is the building. Yeah, and that is what we're going to church. Yeah, you're going right. to church. Going that to is church. church. We aren't church. We're people who go to church. You know, that is church. Church, church, church. Right, um, like, uh, we say I'm going to Mass. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going right. to Mass. Yeah. I'm going to Mass or this is my parish. No, right. this is my church. No, I go to First Baptist of blah, blah, blah. I was going to say a city, but then I was like, I don't want to be sponsoring a <laughs> Protestant ecclesiastical community on the podcast. But um, Protestant church community. That was one of the funniest things that I've ever read in my entire life, by the way. Like when the (laughs) ruling that came out, I think it was actually Pope Benedict. Maybe it was even Cardinal Ratzinger at the time. We can't properly refer to uh, Protestant churches as churches. And he has this long explanation, but he's like, they're more ecclesial communities. The word ecclesia is church. Church. (laughs) We translate it. So it's a church community. But not a church, which I, I kind of mm. get what he's saying, but it, it's still less like authoritative. Yeah, but no. it's not less. Confusing. I just found it funny about the word. I'm <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Really, really clear yeah. Has has everyone's Latin gotten that bad? <laughs> right. <laughs> that all I can do, if I can say the exact same thing with the Latin word uh, or the Greek word in it's that better. case, both uh-huh. the same, um, and suddenly it's I'm saying something different. Right. I, mean, I don't know. Oh. Where were we? <laughs> what we're talking we talking about yeah. like how people can be scandalized by the church. I like can yeah. experience like how messed up it is, and yet it has these four marks, right? Um, and I think we can maybe talk about what that says about how we're supposed to approach the church, where our faith should lie, um, all those kind of things. So we've established that the church can't. These four marks are there. They're there, and they're always going to be there. Sustained solely sustained by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy uh, well, and I mean, and Christ talks about obviously, you know, when he gives the keys to Peter, and he like is establishing the Catholic Church. I mean, the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. If we're Catholics, I mean, we really believe that nothing's going to happen to the Church. Well, what does it mean to be scandalized by the Church? This is a good question. It Do you is. know what the definition of scandal actually is? Isn't scandal to lead others to sin through like, to scandal to yeah. scandalize someone is to cause another person to sin mm. by your teaching or example. Yeah. So it's not the same as, I mean, in our world, when we think scandal, we mean, oh, somebody's been doing something they're not supposed to do, uh-huh. and we just yeah. found out. Right. Right? And yes, some snapping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's not, I mean, although that can be scandal. Uh-huh. That can be scandal. That's an extreme. Scandal is more based on um, you and the person who you're encountering, right? So um, on for, for some people... Um, talking about advanced theology could be scandalous to them because it might not they might not be able to understand that it's it's actually okay to talk about this stuff um, and they can get very very worked up about it in fact I know people that are kind of like that right um, but causing someone to sin by your action your example or your teaching and teaching it can happen frequently right so if mm-hmm. someone were to teach you and this happens a lot right uh, teach you incorrectly, maybe say to you that, oh, X is not a sin, uh-huh. right? And when, when it really is. Um, now that person has been scandalized because whoever taught them that has taught them incorrectly yeah. and now caused them to sin, uh, to com- commit a wrong action at least, 
um, because of that example, or or I see someone else doing something. Someone walks by and um, you know sees uh, uh, sees the priest, you know, I don't know, doing whatever it is horrible thing. I mean, putting your cat in a wood chip. I mean, you can imagine. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. you see, walk by and you see, but that's it said a horrible thing. Um, <laughs> I thought the cat was a dog. Oh yes, right. Well, yeah, they saw. Yeah, that would be terrible. That would be awful, awful. No, but seriously, you see some. You see somebody, a priest, walk by. And he's doing something, and you think to yourself, "Gosh, I didn't think they're walking out of a racy movie. I mean, not a porn movie, but like mm-hmm. a racy yeah. movie, right at yeah. the movie theater." And you think to yourself, "Oh, it must be okay to go to that movie." Well, no, right? I, Shannon brings up. I mean, it was trivialized because of the cat, but it's like, what if the priest is doing something that is good? But an onlooker sees it. But that's and, the thing about scandal. That's mm-hmm. the thing about scandal. Scandal doesn't have to do with whether or not the action itself was good. It's just what's perceived, right? It's the perception that then causes a person to make a. Now, listen. Somebody gossiping because they see someone doing something. That's not. That's they haven't scandal. been scandalized. Yeah. But scandal is when my example leads someone to think that something's okay when it's not. So let's say that I work for. You know, there's that company. Um, what is it called? I can't remember the name of the website, but it, run, it's run by the Mormons that does all these movie reviews, and it's actually fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like you go on it, and they are super detailed. So if you want to know is it okay to go kids first or something like that, okay. if it's okay to go to this movie or not, you know. But the thing is, somebody's got to go see the movie. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got. I mean, maybe they don't go to the movie theater. Maybe they get advanced copies. I don't know how it works, but somebody's got to actually go see the movie. Right. Well, here's the thing. If you're walking out of the theater and somebody sees you go in and the, there's somebody that's like, oh, I know what that movie's about. You know, and here you got this holy person or somebody working for the church walking out. That can cause scandal because somebody could say, oh, it must be okay to see that. Right. Okay. So like Bishop Barron, right? Bishop Barron sees like every movie that comes out. Uh-huh. This guy is a movie watching fiend. <laughs> um, and some of the movies that he goes to see, he actually says, you really ought not to see this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. But anybody that sees him coming out of the theater we'll think that is going to be like, oh, well, Bishop Barron went to see it, right? So yeah. I don't know how he handles that. But but at the same time, that's like a potential for scandal. And there's all kinds of things like that, right? Well, I, I say probably on college campus or like in col- the college world where we see it now of like people falling in love and stuff like that and like boy and girlfriends living together. It's like even if you're not, even if nothing's happening, yeah. even if it's nothing wrong, just that thought yeah. would lead is potentially yeah. scandalizing someone. Or you know, for instance, uh, somebody. It's today, currently, it is Mardi Gras as we're making this <laughs> podcast. So you could imagine a situation in which you know, like often happens, people forget they're not supposed to eat meat on Friday, and. Maybe they see the priest eating uh, Chick-fil-A on Friday. And so they think to themselves, you know what? Maybe this is not that big a deal. Right? Because, I mean, I see the priest doing this. Maybe it's not that big a deal. I had, um, and when I was living out in Utah, um, the parish out there, our priest, he was telling a story during Lent. And he was like, I, he was like, I messed up on a Friday. He went to the grocery store and he was getting deli meat. Yeah. And you know how they always ask you for a sample? They asked him for it. It was like, oh, would you like to try some ham? And he was like, oh, yes, I'd love to. And then he was like, ah, it's Friday. Did that cause scandal? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because you potentially saw someone looking at him, and, it, and, he, and he goes on to talk about, you know, 
that potentially causing scandal. It has a point. I don't just tell random stories. But the thing is, people can be scandalized in the church, like by members of the church, right? And it it happens. Um, I recently heard a story uh, about uh, a person who went to a mass and they heard as the priest was doing the consecration, he did not say the correct words of consecration. Um, he mm-hmm. said, uh, "This is a symbol of my body." Right? He said it that blatantly. Like yes. I thought, maybe he. Or no, excuse me. This represents my body. Is what he said. Oh, this yeah. represents my body, which means that was not mass. That uh-huh. did not change into the Eucharist. He yeah. did not offer anything, right? So, um, and and it, it's not a mistake. It's not like you yeah, accidentally. Yeah, after years and years and years of saying mass, you don't accidentally say this represents. And that and that's just not scan. I mean, that's a whole litany. But, of but okay, things. no. But there's yeah. the, uh, there's the sin that the priest commits is that's his business, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, the where scandal can come in is so the person sees it. So you have different different reactions. One person could see it and be like, I didn't know you could use different words there. And they really mean that sincerely. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just didn't know. Just like there's a third form of the penitential act that nobody ever uses. But you kind of roll it out and everybody's like, uh, well, what, what just happened? <laughs> Is that okay? Like, was that valid? Um, and I, I don't even remember how it goes because I never use it. But mm-hmm. in seminary, every once in a while, somebody just to be different would roll mm-hmm. out the option C on the penitential act. <laughs> And people would be like, <laughs> you have no idea what to do. You feel very strange. You just sat down. You did the, the closing prayer. And you're thinking to yourself, ah, I'm going to have to go to mass later. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> is it what? Not to get us even more off topic, but we're what is topic. it? We're still what, on. We're just talking a lot about holy. We're just talking about yeah. a lot about scandalization. Um, what? To be, what is the only thing that, I mean, really, isn't it just the words of consecration have to be right are the only things that make a Mass valid? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that have to happen for a Mass to be valid. I mean, you, you definitely have to, there has to be the invocation of the Holy Spirit. Okay. That has to happen. And then the words of institution have to happen. you got to have the right kind of matter. And bread and wine. Yeah, bread and okay. wine. There's a lot of things that have to be there. But okay. um, if you were to mess something else up, it's not going to invalidate the mass. Yeah, it, right? it could be, yeah. But it's like, that's one of those things. Like, if you're in mass and you say the wrong words, even accidentally, those big, bold words in the book, if you say those wrong, even accidentally, you have to stop and go back and say them again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it works. And isn't, I mean, that's the reason we're having books and not just remembering this from exactly. memory. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are, there are kinds of mistakes you can make, even in the words of institution, that don't invalidate the mass, but like this is my body, like <laughs> is has a very def a, a very specific definition, represents has a very specific definition, and they are not the same, okay. mm-hmm. right? Um, so when we're talking about scandal, though, one person could just be confused. Another person um, could be reinforced in their already misguided notion. Right, so mm-hmm. they say to themselves, "Well, finally, I have a priest that understands that this is a symbol." And you know what? Maybe the church does really understand this. And all those other priests that I know, those are crazy. So here's somebody who's really being led deeper into a sin. Like that's like the classic scandal. Or what I would right? see is like somebody. I mean, somebody who's a Protestant that comes in and then sees somebody praying a rosary, and like they do it, and I mean, and and they just see it, and then they're kind of like, "Oh, well, this just proves that Catholics really worship Mary." Here is somebody praying to Mary. 
Well, I'm not sure that. Um, well, okay. Let, sorry, let me clarify that. Not just praying is, a rosary, but you like, haven't changed anything about that person. They already thought that. Right? Okay. Right. So to cause someone to sin is to take someone from a place in which they previously held a correct position. And because of what you have said or done, now they hold an incorrect position, mm-hmm. right? Um, otherwise, I mean, the person who just has, is confirmed in their already incorrect notion, right? Um, but a person who's kind of on the fence trying to figure they think something themselves, but they know the church kind of disagrees with them, and then they see someone who agrees, right? And all of a sudden, bam, we're good. Mm-hmm. We're off to the races. Or if like the a same pre- thing happens like in, in confession. Every once in a while, I'll hear somebody that come from confession. They're like, oh, well, you know, this really nice priest told me one time that I haven't had enough children and that it was okay to use contraception. I mean, it's okay for me to use contraception, uh-huh. right? And it's like, well, that's the definition of scandal, right? Yeah. yeah. Because now, because uh-huh. this priest was unfaithful, he has now caused this family to live in an objective state of sin. Now, have they committed an actual sin, a personal sin? Maybe not. It depends on knowledge and some uh-huh. other stuff. But objectively, they've been living in a state of sin, right? Yeah. So scandal is a real problem in the church. And scandal in the in the correct definition. And then the other thing is like scandal in the worldly definition, right? Just things happening that people think to themselves, how can people really believe the things that they say they believe if these things are going on, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how is it possible? Um, and that kind of stuff happens, right? It happens mm-hmm. a lot. And that's, I guess, why we have to have this where you were talking about earlier about everything being sustained by the Holy Spirit, that yeah. the actions of the members of the church are not the actions of the church. And we talked about that with the Crusades and such, too. Um, just because, uh, you know, I might be an unholy person or I might do these terrible things, um, and people will point to that and say, oh, well, he's a Catholic and does these terrible things because he's a Catholic, but it's not necessarily true. And that the and then they'll use that as a reflection of the Catholic Church as a whole. Well, the Catholic Church must endorse such such and such or be as evil as I thought it was. Does that go even? I mean, does that? I mean, the scandal is also what leads us to like why we're told like we shouldn't go to like Protestant services and stuff like that as Catholics or stuff like that. No, no, you can go to a Protestant service. You can't receive communion in a Protestant church. Okay, right. So let's say you go to the you know. I don't know, whatever church is handing out communion. And uh, our friends across the way, they have uh, bread and jam, a nutritious Eucharist is what they call it. Really? Do, do they call it a nutritious Eucharist? That, that's exactly what their sign says. They do oh. not call it a nutritious Eucharist. <laughs> they do. Yeah. That's exciting. They do. Wow. So okay. if, if, if someone, if a Catholic were to go to our friends and receive their nutritious <laughs> Alex Tatum, like Alex Tatum is about to lose it. <laughs> it he looks like a, like a tomato. <laughs> <laughs> so, at any rate, so if we go there, though, uh, yeah, if we go, we can't partake. Yeah, exactly, of the right? Because, <laughs> because if, when you go forward to receive communion, it, no matter what the people there believe, I mean, they may not even believe that what they're giving out is Jesus Christ, right? They might not even think that they're doing something that's like the Last Supper, right? But it doesn't matter. We understand that the Last Supper and the institution of the Eucharist and this thing that happened at that final Passover all the way through Christ's resurrection, that whole event is something 
that um, pertains to mass in a very special and particular way. So to take an element of that out of it and to turn it into something kind of uh, either trivial or even solemn but just not real, right? Mm-hmm. When a Catholic, if a Catholic were to go forward and receive or even stay where they are, and I think the Methodists pass stuff around or Presbyterians or something like that, I don't know how it works. Um, if you were to receive it, it's like you're endorsing the fact that you think this is what Jesus intended for us to do. Right? So on the one hand, you're saying something's incorrect. And number two, you're making other people think that, oh, this person endorses that this is what Jesus intends for us to do. Right? Whereas somebody that's not Catholic, who doesn't believe in the Eucharist, who comes to a Catholic church, they come up. Maybe they come up. They cross their arms to get a, get a blessing or they stay in their seat or whatever it is they do. That is very clearly a sign of them saying, I do not believe this is what Jesus intended for us to do. Right? And we actually encourage people who don't agree with us to proclaim that they do not agree with us <laughs> by what yeah. they do with their body in mass. Right? Mm-hmm. So how does this work with uh, the Orthodox, who, if we're talking about apostolic, still, still have, have apostolic succession? So how does communion work between Orthodox and Catholics? From our standpoint, from the Catholic standpoint, their sacraments are valid, their communion is valid. You can receive it as much as you want to. Mm-hmm. They can receive ours. They do not feel the same way, right? So right. they will not give you communion, even though, uh, even though we say it's fine for you to receive it. Mm-hmm. Isn't it also like it's the rule? Like you should only though be going to an Orthodox service if like there's no Catholic service around. In terms of fulfilling your Sunday obligation, yeah. mm-hmm. yes. because I mean, because then there's also the whole of like you're also giving validity to the schism if you're going. Which isn't really, which isn't so much scandal, but it is in a way kind of. But scandal. like for instance, we have some Orthodox people who come here from us because they don't have an option uh, from their particular Orthodox church. They don't have an option, hmm. and so they come here and they've been instructed to by their priest that you can go there, you can receive the sacraments, um, and when you come home, you come back here, and you know. We we'll wash up. Well, you and we'll wash <laughs> the papists <laughs> off right, of you. Right. Yeah. So um, then, um, what about certain? Um, Protestant, like more traditional Protestant sects that maybe do believe in the real presence, then I guess if we're talking about apostolic, we have to explain why their sacraments aren't valid and the Orthodox are. Well, I the only the only ones that really could claim it would have would have been the Anglicans, mm-hmm. specifically what is considered the high order Anglicans now, and the reason I mean they had when I mean when Henry VIII broke the church, they still had apostolic succession. What happened is is I believe it's Cranmer. Um, completely um, broke apostolic. He, I mean, they started. I mean, p- pretty much they started. Uh, what's it? What's they it called? They changed the way that they do ordination. Yeah, correct? Mm-hmm. they changed the ordination and therefore started. It's not actually ordination. Having, yeah, they started having invalid bishops, mm-hmm. and then that way broke apostolic succession. But had they kept it, the Anglicans would still. I mean, the Anglicans would be, would be like the. It would be mm-hmm. similar to what the Orthodox have. And then obviously Luther and Calvin getting away with clergy altogether. So, uh-huh. all right. Well, um, do we have anything else we want to talk about on this topic? It's been kind of uh, all over the place. roundabout. We talked, strange. We really, we really nailed down holy. Yeah. Yes. And we got apostolic in there at the end. We got apostolic. Okay, so maybe well, let's talk about Catholic just for talk, a second. Yeah. yeah. Talk about let's universal. Talk about Catholic. Pertaining to the whole. Universal. Is it like the production company? 
Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. There's studios and everything. We have yeah. a big theme park. It's, there's a, yeah, yeah. it's called Vatican City. Yeah, no, there's a... Ca- yeah. If you become Catholic, we get to let you know about the super secret Catholic theme park. There's a That's roller coaster. Right. Yeah. Are, are we Gnostics now? <laughs> <laughs> the secret knowledge? Right. Where's no! The, where's the Nerf gun again? Yeah, come on. I'll shoot myself later. <laughs> um, universal, right? So the universality of the church. This is a point that I also think people struggle with. Granted, the universality comes from the Holy Spirit who moves all through all people of all times, right? Yeah. Um, however, when we look at it on the face of it, uh, there is a tremendous amount of division in Christians. Uh, and there's also, especially in the Catholic Church, uh, almost a complete death of the idea that we should try to spread the faith to others. Yeah. I mean, it's almost completely dead. It's, I mean, it's the last thing Jesus says to us before he leaves. And it's the thing that, I I think you've said it before, Father, like you would give a homily about money, and then you would give a homily about going out and missioning, and then it was, it's like, it's like people hate homilies about money, but they hate homilies about being missions even more. Yeah. (laughs) I I do think people experience within the Catholic Church in the United States especially uh, a an overwhelming sense of either decline or maintenance. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. We're going to maintain what we're doing or we're kind of declining and everybody knows it but nobody really wants to do anything about it. Um, and then there are some places um, where there's a lot of growth happening. Uh, and of course that's obviously a sign of health. Um, but even some of that uh, it's like I wonder about our diocese sometimes in Atlanta. Like, we're growing, but I don't know that it's because – I don't think we're growing because of uh, actual locals. And we're growing because people are moving here, right? Who are Catholic. Both from the north who are moving down to Atlanta for economic reasons yeah. and then also immigrants coming from the south moving into Atlanta. So the church is getting bigger, but I'm not sure it's because we're, we're evangelizing, right? right? I bet we lose more each year than we gain from RCIA or something like yeah. that. Um and I, I think that's just a defect in the way that uh, we think about how we're supposed to live our faith. Um, and so I, I do think, while we can say the church is universal, while we can say it's Catholic, we can we can say those kind of things, on a day-to-day level, I think of the four marks, that's probably the one that has suffered the most, um, at least in the last hundred years or so, um, as the entire idea of missions has just kind of fallen apart. Yeah. I think it's tough because, like, especially in the West for a very long time, not necessarily in the U.S., but in Europe, it was just everybody was Catholic. You didn't have to evangelize because everybody was already Catholic. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like the skill that we lost because nobody had to do it. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, we had, I mean, look at America. I mean, look at Central and South America. I mean, the Spanish, I mean, say what you will about the Spanish, but they knew how to mission the faith. I mean, and I mean, they also Jesuits. Well, and they, yeah, and they also, I mean, they also had help from Our Lady of Guadalupe. But still, I mean, they were coming over here. I mean, this is one of my big things: is you read about the conquistadors, and yes, there were very bad conquistadors, but there were also very good conquistadors. And like you talk about it, and like the really good ones, their idea was we are coming over here to spread Catholicism, like we are going to make these people Catholic. 
and and then you get into the whole Our Lady of Guadalupe story and all that, which really is another subject for another time. But I mean, look at especially when you go out west, you see these old historic and Utah. There's an old church from like was there before the Mormons even got there that was settled by Franciscan missionaries. It's like our roots are out there. Even in America, they're out there. We've just lost them. We have to get back to it. And really, if you look and think about it, it's 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 kind of it's. I'd say the lay church may be growing, but I think part of the reason our missioning our missions are dying is because our religious are dying. Because, like, especially in America, the history of the religious was going out to the yeah. people. Yeah. Where, like, in, I mean, in Europe, obviously, you could have, and, and other places, and then obviously in the Middle East, you had much more hermits and, like, these, these different ideas of it. But in America, our religious was out there. They're teaching. They're bringing the faith to people. And what is suffering the most, especially here in America? Religious. Yeah. Well, at any rate, lots and lots of various topics <laughs> oh, yeah. discussed on this podcast. Uh, but at any rate, the church has four marks, one holy Catholic apostolic. Uh, and uh, uh, if you have any questions, uh, which I certainly do. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have questions. Or comments, you can email us at podcast at gtcatholic.org. Uh, thank you and God bless. Church, church, church.